Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. The Harry Potter universe is one of the most popular ever created. It's up there with Lord of the Rings and Spider-Man. But in recent years, the author of the books that started it all, J.K. Rowling, has expressed some views that haven't sat right with many fans, leading people to ask, can I still like Harry Potter if I don't like J.K. Rowling? Especially as like a young woman who was just discovering feminism, the story of Harry Potter was really powerful, but the story of J.K. Rowling was also extremely powerful. Stacey Lee Kong is a cultural critic and founder of Friday Things, a media brand that includes a newsletter and Instagram account. She'll break down this controversy and help us understand how we think about the connections between art and its creator. This is The Decibel. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So are you yourself a Harry Potter fan? I am. So I read the books when I was like 13 or 14. My grandma actually bought them for me for Easter one year, which was like, an, it's not a traditional gift giving time, but she was like, here, I thought you would like these books. And I did. I love them. And I actually even went on. And as part of my degree, I had to write a thesis. So I wrote my thesis on Harry Potter fan works, like fan fiction and video edits and things like that. Wow. Okay. So you know this well then. I've been thinking about it for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? So have I, because I I grew up with the books as well. The first one, um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone came out in 97. I remember getting them because a relative in London sent them to me and my sister and said, you have to read them. All the kids here love this book. Right. They've had a huge impact. Why do you think these stories connect with people in the way that they do? I mean, I think, first of all, what little kid does not dream of, especially a little kid who maybe feels like, I don't know, no one understands me, doesn't dream of getting a letter being like, hey, you're so special that you get to go to this special school where you do magic and you can have like an owl as a pet and you can save the world. Like, Dear Mr. Potter, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. So many of the things that connected with me are like, you could save the world and be a hero and also be a good person on on the day to day and be kind to people who are being bullied and be understanding of people who come from different class backgrounds as you. But also specifically, I think it's interesting to think about age because so you and I read the books when we were kids. But even when I first started getting involved in Harry Potter fandom, like, and I think this is probably pretty classic for anyone who gets involved in fandom, you love the source material, like you love sort of that primary text, and you want more. So you go and you talk to other fans and maybe you start writing fan fiction or maybe you start doing cosplay or whatever it is. So the thing I did was I read a lot of fan fiction and wrote like two very bad fan fictions. And the other people who I was reading, like some of them were whole adults with children of their own. Like even from the very beginning, these books appealed to anyone who kind of liked action and adventure and fantasy and magic. Like it's not just, I don't think it was ever really just for kids. The author of this whole world is, of course, J.K. Rowling. Um, She has been criticized in recent years, of course, for her stance uh, on trans rights in the UK. Let's just kind of get into this. Can you explain in in broad strokes, I guess, Stacey, what she said about all that? J.K. Rowling, since 2019, has been tweeting kind of increasingly transphobic things. There had been some weird 
things before. She had been criticized for her treatment of race in the books themselves. She had, I believe by this point, her first book as Robert Galbraith had come out, and the villain in that book is a transgender person. So there were already some critiques about her, but she hadn't explicitly said anything that was transphobic. And then all of a sudden, she was amplifying this idea that trans women aren't women. And more than that, she was saying that trans women are dangerous to cisgender women. So all of this is untrue. It's not supported by any data. It's incredibly cruel. But that's really where it started. And since then, it has just gotten worse. So she continues tweeting. She's written some essays. It, we should also note that in the UK, transphobia has really become endemic in media and feminist circles. So where here we see a lot of like, we need to think about both sides. And there it's really like the idea of being gender critical is kind of pervasive. And gender critical, I'm saying in air quotes, which I know you can't see because this is a podcast, but. I think it is important to note that Rowling herself has said she's not transphobic. She's written about knowing a trans woman, knowing that violence against trans women is higher than it is for cis women. So just to, that's what she's also said publicly. Yeah. You talked about how a lot of this has come out on Twitter, how, how Rowling herself has been kind of, this is the place where she's been making a lot of these statements. I did want to include one specific tweet here um, because people may have come across this and they may have questions about it. This was something that she tweeted in December. Um, she's got millions, yes. millions of Twitter followers. So she tweeted, quote, war is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. The penist individual who raped you is a woman, end quote. Can you explain what what is Rowling talking about here? She's actually writing a response to a news article. It's a Scottish police officer who said that they would say any person who's been accused of rape who was born male but identifies as female, even if they do not have a, a gender recognition certificate, the police would record that person as a woman. So J.K. Rowling is saying that's not fair. This person is a man and this person has raped someone. And therefore, it's this like double speak that she's trying to say that we're living in like a, a world where nothing makes sense. However, as far as I can tell, this situation that the police officer is talking about is completely hypothetical. And as you mentioned, she does acknowledge that trans people are far more likely to be the victims of sexual assault, sexual violence, assault, murder than to perpetrate it themselves. Like these are all hypotheticals. None of these things have ever happened. And that's actually really common with people who are espousing these transphobic ideas. It's coming up with terrible, scary hypotheticals that don't happen, haven't happened, don't reflect reality, but are a useful rhetorical tool to kind of further a particular idea. Like there's so much bound up in it because first of all, she's saying that women can't be rapists. We know women can commit sexual violence. But she's also linking the idea of trans people as inherently violent and predatory. And trans people are just the latest victims of that kind of rhetoric, right? We've also seen gay men in particular were considered predatory with no basis in reality. It was truly just a way to express anxiety around someone who is different. How has the Harry Potter fandom reacted? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, differing opinions here, but are there any general trends that you're seeing among among Potterheads here? I think a lot of people are very disappointed. And that's why, so I wrote this piece for The Globe 
about what you can do if you're trying to figure out how to, should you be watching the anniversary special that HBO put out? And I really wrote that for people like me who, like, I'm not trying to convince anyone that JK Rowling is transphobic. If you're not seeing it, like, that one's on you. I'm really thinking about the people who see what she's saying and are not happy with what she's saying and what she's saying doesn't reflect their values, but who feel torn about how they should be feeling about Harry Potter. Have you read anything or seen anything about specifically how LGBTQ plus fans are are reacting to this? Definitely. So I think that's where some of the most interesting and compelling writing has actually been. There's a really great, a few really great pieces, but one in particular by a writer named Asia Romano, who writes in Vox and who has been a Potterhead since like as long as there were books. They talked really beautifully and really compellingly about seeing themselves represented in the character of Tonks. So if you haven't read Harry Potter in a while, Tonks was like a shape-shifting character and she could make herself look like anybody. And so she could kind of play with her visual identity and her gender identity. And obviously this like comes in handy in the saving the world part of things. But what Romana writes is about how powerful it was to see somebody whose identity did not adhere strictly to a binary. And so they came out as non-binary and Tonks was a part of kind of like seeing themselves. And, and there have been other fans who talk about seeing characters like Tonks as a trans allegory. There was this fan theory that Remus Lupin, who was a werewolf, that that was maybe an allegory for the AIDS epidemic and the way that Lupin had to hide who he really was and he faced all of the stigma and he was considered this danger. And in fact, he was just, again, a lovely person who was trying to help and like just trying to live his life. So I would argue that especially as the books went on and she was edited less, that the books themselves kind of became less and less important. Like the actual world was the thing that really appealed to people. And some of the best Harry Potter stories that I've read were not her stories. They were the stories that people wrote about what's the like missing scene that we didn't see. There's like beautiful writing there. And so there's lots of people, I think, or at least in my section of fandom that I was involved in, who took the best parts of the Harry Potter story and created something different and saw themselves in Harry Potter, but also saw places that it could have been improved. Like the people have been talking about race in Harry Potter forever, right? There's a character whose name is literally Cho Chang. That's not in any way grounded in reality or in, in any sort of research about what a Chinese person's name might be. So there was already superficiality and carelessness before that inspired people to go and create a more in-depth story. As you said, I mean, this has really inhabited its own world, right? People get immersed in the Harry Potter world. There's the fandom. There's, of course, been movies since the books as well. And so I guess, have the stars of the movies had anything to say about this? Because this is something that kind of comes back to the world that they're a part of now as well. Dan Radcliffe, who played Harry Potter. So in 2020, he wrote a blog post about her tweets on gender identity He very explicitly said, trans women are women. Any statement to the contrary erases the identity and dignity of transgender people and goes against all advice given by professional healthcare associations who have far more expertise on the subject matter than either Joe or I, referring to J.K. Rowling. 
But the part that I really loved at the end, he said, to all of the people who now feel that their experience of the books has been tarnished or diminished, I'm deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you. I really hope that you don't entirely lose what was valuable in these stories to you. And he kind of goes on and says, you know, if these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe or that, you know, it can overcome anything and that strength is found in diversity and that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, which is like extremely on the nose. That's what the whole book is about. Those messages are real that you found and no one can touch that. It, it means to you what it means to you. Hmm. So he's spoken about it. Emma Watson has also spoken about it. And I think that's part of why in the reunion, the reunion is really like, how did they make the Harry Potter movies? It's not a work of cultural analysis. It's not a work that explores like the meaning of Harry Potter. And this is the project that we're talking about here is the reunion special that came out um, beginning of this year on January 1st on, on HBO. Yeah, it's really like behind the scenes stories. Mm-hmm. Emma Watson fell in love with the guy who played Draco Malfoy. Which like Emma Watson, who plays Hermione Granger, of course. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, I think when I was thirteen, I also did. So like, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I probably actually was older when the books came out, so maybe I didn't. But I really like the idea of Draco Malfoy in the books. So I love an antihero. So you got those kind of like cute, lovely behind the scenes stories, but you don't hear about what the books mean. And I think if you had gone in that direction, or if HBO had gone in that direction, that they would have to address J.K. Rowling in a way that, like, you really, that's not what that this project was about. Was J.K. Rowling included in that at all? So she wasn't interviewed. She wasn't, like, part of the kind of live interviews, but they did use archival footage of her from, I believe, 2019. Some people might say, you know, why does it matter what the person behind a piece of art uh, or behind a book thinks on certain issues? But as we're talking about, it does seem to matter to a lot of people. Why are people so bothered by this? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons. So partially, when you become the fan of something, I think we identify with these things that we love and we identify with the creator. Like I certainly, especially as like a young woman who was just discovering feminism, the story of Harry Potter was really powerful, but the story of JK Rowling was also extremely powerful. As someone who grew up with not a lot of money to know that, you know, like anybody has beautiful stories in them. Anyone has powerful stories in them and that it is possible even without connections or wealth to be able to tell those stories and to be able to, succeed on the back of your ideas was very powerful to like 15, 16, 17 year old me. So it's hard when a person who you think is like you actually betrays you because they believe something that is so disgusting. It's an emotional thing on one hand. And then the other part of it is that these issues that we're talking about are like everywhere in life. And I think this goes to a larger question of like why thinking about pop culture matters, which is like my whole jam. But it's important to remember that when we're when we are talking about what J.K. Rowling says, we're not just saying these things because we're trying to score rhetorical points. We're saying these things because in real life, trans women in particular face extremely high levels of violence. Their life expectancy is shorter than cisgender women's life expectancy. They're more likely to experience physical and sexual violence 2021 was the second year that there were record-breaking numbers of trans women murdered in North America. There are like real impacts. Real people are being hurt here. And so 
yes, there's an element of I feel betrayed because someone doesn't believe what I believe and I thought we were the same. But there's also an element of you are an extremely powerful, extremely wealthy, extremely privileged person and you are using all of your power to double down on the most vulnerable people in our society. Stacey, after all this, can I just ask you personally, does knowing the author's views affect your love for Harry Potter or your connection with the series? It doesn't change what Harry Potter meant to me as a kid or as a teenager. It doesn't change my enjoyment necessarily. Actually, maybe that's wrong. It kind of does change my enjoyment. Like, it's no longer possible for me to engage with Harry Potter without also thinking about J.K. Rowling's beliefs. Like, I just can't do that. And I'm not saying that that's like the law and everybody has to do that. I think, I mean, that's not what Daniel Radcliffe thinks. He absolutely believes that you can take what you want from Harry Potter and still have that kind of comforting experience. For me, I think the saddest thing is I I just kind of can't. Like, I haven't watched the reunion yet. And part of it is because I don't know how I feel. Like, is it wrong to enjoy something where the creator's views are just like so, so wrong to me? And that's kind of what I'm trying to explore in my writing. It's not necessarily that I'm trying to convince someone. I think I'm just trying to like work through what we should do. Like the more we know about people and this applies to other things, right? The more we know about people, the more we're going to find out that maybe they've done things we don't agree with. Maybe they've done things that we think are actually ethically and morally wrong. And for me, that means that every time I, I turn on the TV and I see Harry Potter, I think about that. And like, that's not actually what I'm going for when I'm trying to watch Harry Potter. So maybe I just, it feels a little bit better to go engage with some other media franchise that isn't so fraught. Stacy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihailovic is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.